chapter number 10 tonight, Exodus chapter number 10, in verse number 21, Exodus 10, 21. Put your seatbelts on. We're going to go fast tonight, so I'm going to, we're going to try to go kind of quick here, especially at the beginning. So, Exodus 10 and verse number 21. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. That's a scary type of darkness, isn't it? How many has ever been in a cave before, deep down in the earth, and they turn all the lights off? Anybody ever been like that? I'm just curious. Anybody, you know, I see some hands shaking heads. Yeah. yeah. And they leave them off for a few minutes, and you're like, okay, <laughs> that was fun. Now, let's turn the lights back on, right? You know, it's just, you can feel it. You can't see anything. Put your hand right in front of your face. Can't see nothing. That's what it was in Egypt that day. And it says, And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. And Pharaoh called unto Moses and said, Go ye, serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be stayed. Let your little ones go also go with you. If you remember before in the plague uh, of the locusts that he gave the consent that they could go, but they must leave their little ones and their herds. Uh, only the men could go. And uh, that was changed in this one. And he says, okay, uh, the little ones and the men, but no herds can go. We'll talk about that here in just a moment, but just wanted to point that out. He says in verse 25, And Moses said, Thou must also give us, must also, must give us also sacrifices and burnt offerings, that we may sacrifice unto the Lord our God. Uh, there is some discrepancy there. It seems like he's asking or telling Moses or telling Pharaoh that uh, Pharaoh must also give him sacrifices. I really believe the idea here is that uh, you must allow us to take our herds with us. I don't really think that really Egypt had anything left. I mean, it was all killed. You remember by the disease and by the hail and by everything else. They didn't have very much according to uh, standards of the day. And so he says in verse 26, he says, Our cattle also shall go with us. There shall not be an hoof left behind us. For therefore we must take to serve the Lord our God, and we know not what we must serve the Lord with until we come thither. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. And Pharaoh said unto him, Get thee from me, take heed to thyself, see my face no more. So in the day that thou seest my face, thou shalt die. Now he was sorely, uh, sorely misunderstood here, sorely, I should say, wrong. Because not in the day would, uh, that he saw Moses would Moses die, but the next time that he saw Moses, his firstborn son, Pharaoh's son, would be dead. Um, and then Moses says, Thou hast spoken well. I will see thy face again no more. And he leaves. Several remarks before we really get into the message tonight. We have our ninth plague. It's called the plague of darkness. Now, you can read all you want to about it. I'm just going to be upfront on you. Nobody really knows how this took place, okay? And there's, it's, it's not like the plague of locusts or the great hail. We just understand that in somehow some supernatural way, God blocked out the sun. But he did not only block out the sun, but he also allowed for the candles to not burn 
in the people's homes. The Bible says that there was no light even in the houses. Somehow God, I don't know, maybe it was a sandstorm. Maybe it was just a thick fog. Maybe God in somehow miraculous way put a great dampness upon the earth so that nothing could be lit. I'm not for sure how God did it, but I just will trust that God did. Amen? And in doing so, it was a darkness that could be felt. A darkness that hurt in some ways. A darkness that was spooky and scary, I guess you might even say. A darkness in which you could not even see each other is the, is the account that we read here. But the Bible does not give us any idea on how it happened. It just says that it did. This is another plague, unlike some of the others, that it comes without warning. Moses does not give Pharaoh an opportunity to repent. He just simply is told by God to stretch out your hands and darkness will happen. And that's exactly what does. Also, I want to point out that uh, something interesting about this plague, this is the fourth out of the ten plagues. The fourth out of the ten plagues that is also relatable to the plagues that will come upon all the world in the end times. In the end times, there will be a great plague of locusts and a great plague of hail, but there will also be a great plague of darkness, of darkness. In Revelation, the Bible says, And the fifth angel poured out his vial, or the bowl, they're called the bowl judgments, vial judgments, upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain, and blasphemed the God of heaven because their pains and their sores, and repented not of their deeds." We're not told that the people of Egypt had pains and sores. They were just told that it was a darkness that could be felt. That's a very similar thing, though, of darkness. Darkness. Interesting to consider this in Revelation and also in Exodus is that both people, Pharaoh and the people of the end times, will know, will know it's God that's sending the plague. But they will not repent. How sad is that? They know, but their hearts are so hard to God, they will not repent. It shows to me that the day of repentance and salvation is now. Amen? We're living in the time and the age of grace. And it's in this time, it's in this hour, that God says, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Salvation. There is some illusion, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2, that God is going to send a great delusion over those that have heard the gospel and rejected it and have said no to it. Now, I don't want any of us to ever be without that warning in our hearts and minds. Be assured and understand that the salvation of God is today. It's now. Don't wait another moment. Don't wait another moment. Also, as all the other plagues, this is another plague that goes directly against and it attacks the Egyptian god. One of the greatest deities of the Egyptians was the god of the sun, Ra, the sun god. And the sun god Ra was a very powerful god to the Egyptians. And we know that the sun has no power in its own self, but rather is given to uh, ability to shine by our God Almighty. But it was a direct attack against their very so-called powerful God. And again, we see Pharaoh coming to Moses and asking Moses for help on his terms. I will let you go, but leave the herds behind, he says. He offers to Moses another 
compromise. And then that's where our message will be at tonight. It'll be in this moment of compromise. We haven't spoken much to this, and I've purposely left it off till this message because I wanted to deal with all four at the same time. There are four compromises that Pharaoh offers to Moses. He offers to him in the plague of the, in the, plague of the flies, he offers him two compromises. Stay in the land, don't go very far. In this and the third compromise, it's in the plague of the locusts, he says, don't bring your children. And in the final compromise, he says, don't bring the herds, but you all can go. All of them hinge on one particular problem, and that is they were all compromises that went against the word of God. I'm not necessarily against a compromise. People compromise in Congress, they compromise in legislatures and all those kinds of things. We make compromises and secessions in our marriage and things like that. I'm not saying that, but there is a different compromise that we're dealing with tonight, and that is the compromise of compromising the words of the living God. We need to settle in our hearts that we'll never make a compromise, make a concession on the words of the living God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's not give in to the world and its standards through compromise. Moses did not buckle under the pressure. He did not compromise, but rather he found strength in the Lord God and his word. There's also another great theme here I think is very obvious, and that is there's a great theme between light and darkness, is there not? Did you hear what it said in verse number 21? He says that stretch out your hand and that there be darkness over all the land. And in verse number 23, it says, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. I'm not going to take the time to really preach on this tonight. We could really look into it. But the Bible makes a great distinction between darkness and light. Just go back to the very beginning of your Bible, right? Genesis 1-4. In the beginning, God, what? He, he saw the light and that the light, it was good. And he divided the light from the darkness. Jesus speaks of spiritual darkness in Matthew chapter number 6 when he deals with the light that is of the body and the darkness that might be in your, may be in your body. In Ephesians 5, it says, For you are sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Second, 1 Thessalonians 5, 5 says, You are all children of the light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. The Bible always is trying to give this correlation between light and darkness. But most of all, tonight I want us to focus in on this, is that there is a children of darkness and a children of light. The children of darkness and the children of light. And the children of darkness are always, the children of darkness are always trying to make the children of light make a compromise on God's word. Trying to make the children of light make a compromise on his word. So let's notice a few of these compromises. Go back to Exodus chapter number 8 and verse number 25. Exodus 8 and verse number 25. We deal with the first one in the plague of the flies. In the plague of the flies, it was so terrible that Pharaoh actually offers two concessions. It was such a terrible and irritable plague that came upon them that he says two different ways, let's get out of it. In Exodus 8.25, we read our first one. After Pharaoh comes to Moses, he says, And Pharaoh called for Moses and said, Go ye sacrifice to your God in the land. If you got your Bibles, turn, if you will, to Exodus 7 and verse number 16. Why is that wrong, preacher? 
Look at Exodus 7 in verse number 16. Upon one of the first times that Moses meets Pharaoh, he says to him these words, And thou shalt say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath sent me unto thee, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness, and behold, hitherto thou wouldest not hear. So God has already told Pharaoh what to do. He has told him that I want you to go serve the Lord. I want want my people to go serve me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh says, I've had enough. Y'all can sacrifice all you want to, but I want you to stay right here in the land. Don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. Stay right here. Number one, this goes against God's word. And I'll say that about every compromise or biblical compromise is wrong. Any compromise that makes you or forces you to make negotiations, settlements, appeasing remarks to the word of God, it's always wrong. It's flat out wrong. Don't ever apologize for God's word, amen? If if it says it, believe it. Don't make apologies for it. If you hear someone say, well, we just had to make some concessions on what the Bible says, tell them you're wrong. Or understand that that's wrong. Understand that is not a proper way to do things. Uh, The Bible is not a piece of legislation, amen? All right? Majority does not rule with the Bible, okay? We don't all in here, if we all of us said, you know, uh, we're all kind of against a couple of things in here tonight, and so we're going to take a vote on uh, what we like and what we don't like, and so we're going to throw out some things. And if we just said, you know, we're going to get rid of some things and adopt some things and change some things, uh, listen, that wouldn't change God's word. We would just be in the wrong. Does that make sense? Congress can compromise. Congress can legislate. Congress can do whatever they want to do. But a church is not run like Congress, okay? A church isn't full of Democrats and Republicans, Okay, A church is full of Christians that abide by the standards of the Word of God. And we stay close to God's Word. And we don't make compromises with God's Word. Uh, how many has ever seen Robertson's Rules for Order? Everybody ever seen that book? <laughs> That's a difficult book to read. Jonathan's shaking his head. It's not a fun one. All right, <laughs> Not any fun. We don't run our churches by Robertson's Rules of Orders. Okay? We follow the words of the living God. We follow it and we ask God to help us to interpret it and to understand it and to apply it and to, uh, and to uh, adapt to it and not let the word of God adapt to us. We follow the New Testament teaching and the apostles' doctrine. And I love that Moses doesn't make any apologies. He doesn't say, well, you know, uh, that might have worked at one time. But it's not gonna... He doesn't make any conciliatory remarks, appeasing remarks. He just simply says, no, that's not going to work. We've got to go into the wilderness. That's where we've got to go. And the second problem is this. Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter number 6 and verse number 14. Go over, thumb your way over to the New Testament. I should have told you before I did that to hold your place in Exodus 8 because that's where we'll be going right back to. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6 though. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. To give you an idea, all four of these compromises have a similarity. And that is they all go against God's word. So 
if you think I'm being redundant when I say that with all four points, I'm being redundant, okay? I'm being repetitious for a purpose. A biblical compromise goes against God's word. But they all have a second problem, too, that I want to present. Probably many other problems, but we'll only deal with two. And that is, is that if they stayed in the land, they would not be able to separate from the land. And in God's holy word, a big doctrine that is, being, that is, that is taught to us is the doctrine of separation. The doctrine of separation. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter number 6, verse number 14, it says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? What part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. They shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. The problem with this particular compromise that Pharaoh presents to Moses is that he tells him, stay in the land, and Moses says, no, we've got to go into the wilderness. We need to separate. We've got to get away from Egypt here and offer the sacrifice that God has told us to do so. And as we serve the Lord God Almighty, as the world says, hey, listen, it's okay. You can, comp- you can stay in the world. You can just kind of live in the world. You can keep hanging out with us and being with us and doing the things that we're doing. Listen, my friend, the Bible says to us here that we cannot do such. That's not how we live our lives. That's not how we live out our lives. Our, 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 he says, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? Well, I just get along with, with people that are unsaved a lot better than Christians. Well, you might want to double check something there, you know? I'm being serious on that. If you, I've talked to people like that. Well, I just don't really, I, I can't really get along with people at churches. <laughs> there might be a problem not with churches, Amen. There might be a problem on the other end of that, of that spectrum. And, but some people, don't, they, they fail to think like that. Oftentimes, we always put the blame on somebody else and blame on this church and blame on that person and blame on this, when in reality, the problem really could probably just be me. Just be myself. I know in personal experience, I know a young man that was fired from a job, I think seven jobs, and his mom said that it was always the boss's fault. Seven jobs. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but that's statistically impossible, okay? Almost. Unless you were just extremely unlucky, all right, to use that word. <laughs> um, the point being is that we don't take a lot of personal responsibility for ourselves, and we need to. And we need to say, you know what, our responsibility as believers is to do what God says for us to do. As he says, come out from among them. Be separate, saith the Lord. Don't go after the unclean thing. And he says, I will receive you. Uh, 
He says, don't have concord with Belial, with things of the devil. Don't have, uh, don't have part with those that are of an infidel. Uh, don't be an unequal yoked with unbelievers. Don't have a fellowship with righteousness, with unrighteousness. You mean that means I can't ever be a friend with somebody that's unsaved? I didn't say that, and that's not what the Bible's talking about. The word fellowship means partakers with, going with somebody, going in with somebody on these things. Don't do that. Stay away from that. What communion hath light with darkness? I've talked to guys before. They say, well, you know, I've just got a, I, I've got a deer lease out here and, uh, you know, a couple of guys on it. They, they kind of drink and carry on and everything. We kind of have to coordinate things. And, I, you know, you don't got no business being a part of something like that. that, that, that's, that, you, that no, we don't, we don't take part in those kinds of things. We stay away from those things. Because why? You say, well, because we don't want our lives and the lives of our children to be impacted by those kinds of things. And number two, he says, and I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord. We're not our own anymore, amen? And this is what God has told us to do, to separate, to separate. Of course, some have taken that to the extreme. I understand that. But I hope that you'll see the spirit in which I'm saying that tonight. Exodus chapter number 8 and verse number 28. Now, notice the very next thing he says. I think this is very interesting because out of all the plagues, the, the plague of the flies must have really bothered Pharaoh. And can you imagine one fly in your house, right? How many cannot stand one fly in your house? You know, can you imagine a billion in your house? Uh, the insanity of that noise flying up your nose in your ear, you're not going to drink something without drinking some fly juice, you know? That sounds good, doesn't it, Mamma? I mean, just some good fly juice, crunching on a fly as it goes down. Mama's eating fly soup, making fly soup tonight, you know? That's all she's made all, that's all, she's made all week, I know. <laughs> Deal with it. Exodus chapter number 8 and verse number 28. Well, it was so bad that when Moses tells him that we're not going to abide by that, in verse number 28, Pharaoh says, okay, I'll give you another option. I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only ye shall not go very far away and treat for me. The next concession that he says, he says, okay, you can go, but just don't go very far. Well, Moses has already told him. He says, we're going to go three days' journey. Okay, let's just imagine this for a second. To take a million to two million people on a three-day journey, that's not very easy to do. Amen? You understand that? How many of you tried to load your family up to come to church tonight, okay? Multiply that times a million, all right? It would be very difficult to do to take three, and he says, don't go three days, just don't go very far, just kind of go a little ways, maybe a day trip or something, and come right back. Uh, don't do this. So Moses says, okay, we are going three days in the wilderness, and he entreats for him. The plague stops, but he doesn't even let them go. The first problem with this is that it goes against the word of God. He said, go three days journey. Make a clean break with Egypt. I don't want you close to the land. You know, the thing is this, is that a Christian cannot hold on to some of the world's teachings and some of the Bible's teachings and rectify those two things together. You know, I've heard some people that have an ungodly business. 
and they claim to be Christians. It's an ungodly business, whatever you want to define that as. And they say, well, I'm a Christian, but I've got a business to run. And somehow we as believers have somehow tried to separate our life that we live outside the church and our life that we live outside of the Word of God or our life that we live in the world. We've tried to separate that from our Christian life. And friend, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. If you're in an ungodly position, you're running an ungodly business, guess what? You're ungodly. That's just the fact of the matter. You can't have it and you can't have one foot in the world and one foot not. We've got to understand that there, being a Christian is, is being a Christian. I, that's, a, that's deep stuff, preacher. But being a Christian is being a Christian all the time. And this is a real problem. You'll run into this. I've run into this several times. Well, I've got a business to run. I've got to do something. I've got to take care of my family. Well, you know what? You can take care of your family, but can you trust God to let you work or do or function in a godly way and still take care of your family? Can you trust God for that? I believe you can, and I believe God will honor that. Well, just don't go too far away is what he says. And you know, that's exactly the same advice that the world says. They're like, you know, okay, listen, all right, Luke, everybody needs a little religion. We know, okay, we're glad you're going to church and everything. But, you know, let's not, like, take this Jesus thing too far, okay, you know? You're kind of getting a little eh, out of hand with this thing, okay? You're at church on a Sunday night? I mean, come on. I mean, who goes to church on a Sunday night anymore? You're doing this? What? Really? You're telling people about, listen, you're just kind of taking this whole Bible thing a little bit too seriously, aren't you? Now, God didn't really mean that. I mean, uh, people say, you know, that one time that's what he meant and that's the way we interpreted it. But, you know, things have changed and things are different now. We don't interpret things the same way. There's all kinds of ways. We're more, much more smart and enlightened age. But the problem is this, is that if we don't get very far away from the world, what will happen is that we'll be tempted to go back into the world. If we don't make a clean break from the world, then we'll be tempted to just waltz right back on over to the world. First, even, let me just put this out there. How many of you can testify, you don't have to raise a hand, shake your head or anything, but it's in your own heart. How many of you can testify to the fact that even if you have, broken, clean with the world and stepped away far away from the world, that the world is still a temptation to you. Does that make sense? I mean, even if, I, even if you broke clean from the world and said, I'm not listening to the world, I'm not going to be take part in the world, I'm, not going, I'm going to separate from the world. Understand this. Even if you do that, that you're still going to be drawn back, you're still going to be tempted by the world. And so if you don't make that clean break, if you don't separate from yourself from the world, if you stay close by it, then the temptation is even that much greater. Your life and my life as a believer should be so incredibly different that we're actually strange people to the people that we used to hang out with. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter 4. 
He tells us that we should no longer live the rest of our time in the lust of the flesh of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. He said that past life that you lived in, it gave you ample time, energy, availability, if you will, suffice. The availability to do all the wrongs that you could have ever done, well, that was available back then. It was present. But then he says that now that you're saved, he says, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same riot of excess, speaking evil of you. Our lives as believers, when we make a clean break from the world, people ought to now look at us that we used to hang out with say, what happened to you? You're strange. You're different. You used to live like that, and now you're living like this. If that's the way people look at you, then don't worry about that. Understand that you are following after the Lord God Almighty. You're not trying to set a standard. You're not trying to be holier than thou. You're just trying to please God. Because you used to live a life that didn't please God. But now you want to please the Lord. And you see that former lifestyle did not please God. Make a clean break. For when we don't make a clean break, then we end up like Lot. For it says, for that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Because he did not make a clean break, he vexed his soul. He hurt himself. It bothered him. And it ended up destroying his family in the same vein too. Moses says no. No, we'll go three days journey like God said. And then go over to Exodus 10 and verse number 11. The fourth compromise is this. He says, sacrifice in the land. He says, don't go... Sacrifice, but don't go very far away. And then he says, sacrifice with just the men. Just the men. Now, this is a pretty smart move from Pharaoh right here, all right? Because he knows that if he can get the men to go sacrifice in the wilderness, three days journey, take all you want to, I don't care, then he knows that the men will come back for their families. Make sense? He's a smart guy. He's not dumb. He understands that they'll have an affinity for their families and they'll go back for them and return to the land. He doesn't want them all to leave because he fears he will not have slaves anymore. Pharaoh says, just take the men. Look at Exodus chapter 10 and verse number 9 where he says, Moses says to him, we will go with our young and with our old and with our sons and with our daughters and our flocks and herds. We will go for we must hold a feast unto the Lord. And he said unto them, let the Lord be so with you as I will let you go and your little ones look to it for evil is before you. Not so. Go now ye that are men and serve the Lord. I think we said last week that verse number 10 is that Pharaoh is not being kind to Moses. He's actually being very sarcastic to him. He's saying, let the Lord be with you. If I'll let you go with your little ones, give me a break. 
You know, pigs will fly before that happens. You men go. Two problems. Number one, it goes against the word of God. A a biblical compromise goes against God's word. God had it in his plan to let all the people go. The second problem is this, is that Pharaoh tries to get Moses to make, um, is one that is truly a plan of Satan. You say, why is that? Because Satan would love nothing better than for us as men and fathers are you that are mothers or grandparents to keep your religion to yourself. Keep it to yourself. And I hear this being taught sometimes. It's a sad, sad thought. Is that, well, you know, I've got my religion uh, as a parent, but I, I just don't want to force that on my kids. And I, and I understand where some people are going with that, okay? They don't want to make their kids into this particular image. Well, I just don't talk about religion too much around my kids or around my, or my family. I don't really talk about the Lord too much. Then you know what has happened is that we've become a compromiser. And we've fallen directly into the trap of the devil. The world wants you and I to compromise so badly. They want, us, they want to indoctrinate our children. They are the ones that want to take your children away from you. They want to steal them away, perhaps not physically, though it can happen. But the statistics are overwhelming. I don't know if you know them, but it's estimated that over 70% of college students that enter into public or state or private universities leave the faith after their first year of attending a secular university. 70% leave the faith. Can I just be real frank with you? The world wants your children. They want them. The devil wants your children. The compromise that Pharaoh is presenting to Moses here is one of the most serious ones. He says, you men go, but you leave your kids behind. You leave your wives behind. You want your religion, that's fine. You keep it to yourselves. But don't be spreading that around to them. You keep that for yourselves. And I'm here to warn you, to tell you the facts. Don't fall into the trap. Don't fall into trap to saying, well, uh, I don't want to force this thing on my kids. I'm not saying force anything on anybody, but here's the thing. If by forcing things on them is what you really mean is that you're going to neglect your spiritual role as a father or mother and not raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Like it says in Ephesians 6, 4, it says, And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but raise them up in the nurture and that, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Or, by such a statement, we're really trying to cover up our own spiritual depth. May God help us to not be compromisers. May God help us to realize that let all of us today as parents, let all of us repent and say, God, please help us to say, I'm going to take my kids with me. 
The application of Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 7 is still, I believe, very applicable to us today. Where it says, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and then shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Don't fall into the trap of that compromising situation that Moses was put into, and fall into this trap where the Satan says, hey, just leave the kids behind. No. No, you don't just talk to the kid, your kids about the Lord here. I mean, you talk to them about them here, and you talk to them about them there, and you talk to them about your, at your house, and you pray with them, and you seek the Lord with them. When something good happens in your life, you talk to them about it. Whenever you see something amazing that's maybe in nature, you say, look God, look how God did. You talk to your children. You tell them about the Lord, and then you instruct them in godly ways, God-fearing ways, good ways. And tell them how to do things according to the will and to the plan of God. Say, this is the plan of God. We want to follow God's plan. We want to be pleasing to the Lord. We're not trying to please ourselves. We want to be pleasing to God. Don't fall into the trap of Satan, my friend. Satan wants your children. The world wants your children. They want to destroy them and keep them for themselves. They don't want God to have them. And then pray for your children. Pray for them. Ask God to help them. Pray for them on a daily, consistent basis. Finally, the last compromise is this. He tells them, he says, go sacrifice in the land. He says, go sacrifice, but not very far away. He says, go sacrifice, but just the men. And then he says, all right, finally, I've had enough after this plague of darkness. And this is one of my favorite ones. He says, go sacrifice without a sacrifice. Now, how is that possible? Did you get that? Go sacrifice, but without a sacrifice. Did you catch that in verse number, in chapter 10, in verse number 24? He tells them, he says, and Pharaoh called Moses and said, go serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be stayed. (laughs) How is that possible? Go sacrifice without a sacrifice. How are we going to go serve God? All right. We're talking about Old Testament days here, okay? They offered sacrifices to God. They literally killed Oxes and sheep and lambs, they, they did all of those kinds of things to the Lord God Almighty, all right? To Jehovah God, they sacrificed them. And Pharaoh says, all right, listen, listen, just go, get out of here, but, but leave your herds. Sacrifice without a sacrifice. Only let your flocks be stayed by. I don't know why he did this, probably for many reasons. But why is it wrong? Well, because it goes against the word of God. Every biblical compromise goes against God's word. You're going against God, and in effect, what we're saying is this. When we go against God, we're saying, I'm right, and you're wrong. I'm right, you're wrong. And really, that just boils down to pride. Go in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, and verse number 8. If you're familiar with the Gospels, you know where that is. Matthew 4.8. Matthew 4.8 is the account of Jesus being tempted by the devil. And what's amazing to me is that the devil tried to tempt our Lord with this very same compromise. 
The devil comes to him and he brings him up, it says in verse number 8, Matthew 4, 8, into an exceeding high mountain, and he showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he saith unto them, unto him, all these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and only shalt thou serve. Shalt thou serve. What has happened here? The devil is essentially trying to offer to Jesus, which is already rightfully his, no doubt, but no doubt the Satan is the prince in the power of the air. He's the prince and ruler of the kingdoms of this world. And at this present time, God has allowed him to have rule and reign and charge over the kingdoms of this world. And he says to him, he says, I'll relinquish what God has allowed me to have if you'll just bow down and worship me right now. What he was saying was this. He was saying, Jesus, you know that cross thing that you're going to have to go to? You know that suffering that you're going to have to experience it talks about in Isaiah 50, number 53. You know about that? Yeah. All right. I'll give you a deal. You don't have to experience any of that if you'll fall down right now and worship me. And I'll give you the exact same thing that you're going to get when you have to go through that cross. And Jesus says, no. No. Spurgeon said this, he said, he said, if doing, if doing wrong meant that we would save the heavens from falling down upon us, may none of us do wrong and let them fall. Do you get that? If the world was crashing down around us and it meant that if we would just do wrong and compromise our beliefs and standards and principles and the word of God, if we would just do wrong against God in this one single solitary point to save the world, if you will, don't do it. Don't do it. Jesus had an opportunity of a lifetime. He could have had the kingdoms of the world at his disposal. All he had to do was just do one wrong thing. Bow the knee to Satan. And Jesus said, no. No. And that's what the world will say. And that's what some churches will try to say. And that's what some people will try to say. Is that you can sacrifice without a sacrifice. That you can live this Christian life and you really don't have to give anything. But David said, I will not offer unto the Lord that which doth cost me nothing. Sacrifice and following after God is going to cost you something. The question is, are you willing to pay? Are you willing to pay? Is really the Savior and the Lord worth it all? Because that's what worship is. It's worth-ship. He is worth it. You'll have to sacrifice to serve God. Whenever Jesus comes to Matthew at the receipt of the custom and he has this great lucrative job and he looks at him and he says, follow me. And the Bible says that Matthew, that he left all, rose up and followed him. He gave it up for God. 
One day Jesus was walking by the receipt of the customs, and he, uh, or excuse me, by the treasury of the Lord, uh, uh, of the temple, and he sees a widow casting in two mites, and he said of her, of a truth I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast in more than they all, for this widow has cast in of her abundance into the offerings of God, but she of her penury hath cast in all that she had. She gave everything. As I read to you earlier in 1 Peter 4, is that you're going to have to sacrifice and give up the pleasures and the old worldly lifestyle in order to serve the living God. Serving God comes at an expense. It sometimes even comes at an expense of not being like or being with your former friends or family. Jesus said in Luke 12 and verse number 52, he said, From henceforth there shall be five in one house divided, three against two and two against three. The father shall be divided against the son, the son against the father, the mother against the daughter, the daughter-in-law, the daughter against the mother, the mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Serving God sometimes requires you to, comes at the expense of you not being like your family anymore. You're not like your family. It's going to cost you. The world and the church want you to say, want you to believe, you know what, give your little tithe and come into church and just your sheer presence at church or whatever it might be is a sacrifice to the Lord. But just remember this statement. No sacrifice, no service. No sacrifice, no service. You have a whole lot of people that want to serve the Lord. I'll put, maybe I'll put that in quotations, Mark. Serve the Lord. But they don't want to sacrifice. They don't want to give up. It requires of you to give your time and talent and treasure to God. It requires you to offer to God the praise of your lips and the thanksgiving that he deserves. It requires that you offered him the sacrifice of what it takes to witness and to tell somebody else about Jesus. It requires a sacrifice of following him and giving up on what you think is best and trusting God for what he says is best. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. Don't be compromising to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I couldn't state it any better than that. Compromise is not the answer. Obedience to God's word is. Never compromise with the world of what God says in his word. Never compromise with the world about the sacrifices that God would want you to give. Never compromise with your family. Never compromise with your separation. Never compromise even with your own, sometimes your own common sense. Back in Exodus chapter number 8, one of the reasons that Moses gives to, to Pharaoh for not compromising on sacrificing the land is this. He says, if we do, we'll be an abomination to the Egyptians and they'll kill us. <laughs> so we're not going to do that, all right? We're not going to go against 
common sense in this matter. The world is darkness. But folks, we are the children of light. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. The world, listen, the world will not understand you. It cannot understand you. Okay? He that is spiritual judgeth all things. One that is saved is able to look at every single situation through a spiritual, biblical lens and understand it by the grace of God. But listen, an unsaved man looking at a saved person will never understand that person. An unsaved woman looking at God's word will not understand this Bible. They're not going to understand why you do the things that you do. Light came into the world and the darkness comprehended it not. It did not understand it. The world will not understand you. That's why we must not compromise. We cannot compromise. But what we can do is we can communicate the gospel to them. But you can communicate the gospel to them. That all are sinners and all are lost. But God in his great grace has provided a great savior. Jesus Christ the Lord. And that he's died for our sins and that he rose again on the third day. Folks, Christ made no concessions or compromises or negotiations with the devil. He didn't make one concession. He didn't make one concession or compromise with the religious leaders of his time. He didn't even make a compromise with his disciples when they questioned him. His closest confidants. He didn't even make a sac- he didn't even make a compromise when his mother and his brethren were standing without and they said, "Thy mother and thy brethren seeketh after thee." And what did he say? He said, "My mother and my brethren and my sisters are those that do the will of God." He wasn't about to make a compromise. He wasn't about to quit his ministry just because people thought he was a little crazy. That's what they said about him. You know that, don't you? They said he's beside himself. Our Lord never made a compromise. And I'd ask that God would help us to not do the same. And that God would help us to live a life of no compromises. Sometimes it's easier to compromise, no doubt, to give in, to concede, to say, oh, well, but have strength tonight. Have strength in the Lord to not make a compromise against his word. Father, we're thankful.